Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Psychovertical Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Uh, this is the end of the week episode. I've decided to call it the end of the week episode because I don't know what, what day I'm going to post it, but hopefully you should be listening to this on uh, on a Thursday. But if you're not, then, you know, who knows when you're listening to it. So, um, yeah, so this is the slightly... Well, this, this is usually like a slightly longer podcast but my wife is like locked in in the room next door because I said she can't come out because I'm doing a podcast and she wants to come out, so I can't I can't keep her there for too long. So um, so yeah. So what's my what's my news? Uh, it is absolutely freezing here in this unidentified uh, Arab country. Um, it's really really cold. Like I'm sat here with a blanket on and um, I've. Uh, just like my feet are freezing. Uh, you can see why you, you think that the, the buildings here would be quite good in the cold because you'd imagine they're really insulated, 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 insulated for the for the heat because it gets up to like 50, you know, 50 plus degrees in the summertime. But they don't seem to be like everyone's everyone's going around today, like, uh, you know, freezing their asses off. Like no one seems to be able to dress uh, you know, very well. I think Arabs, Arabs seem to be a little bit. Um, they don't seem to like the cold for some reason. I was in, the, I was, I was getting a coffee today, and the woman next to me was like in the full on, full on burka and everything, and uh, <laughs> she was like uh, shivering and uh, freezing cold. So, so burkas aren't very warm either. So, um, so yeah, I can see why. I don't know if everyone, everyone has anybody ever read. <laughs> Bravo to Zero, the book which is better on the second read, as Alan Partridge said, uh, about the uh, SAS, the kind of semi-fictional, well, probably very fictional story of the SAS in the desert uh, in Iraq. But they, I think, what, uh, two of them like died of hypothermia. I think it was two of them. One, one of them died, just died of hypothermia in the desert. Another one died. I think he swam across the Euphrates or something and died of hypothermia. But I've I've really noticed it here a few times. Uh, it's really can get really cold, uh, like at, at night. I know people always say like, "Oh yeah, in the desert it's really cold at night," but it's when the wind when the wind blows. I don't know why. You think if it was there's more moisture, it would in in the wind it would it would be colder. But uh, yeah, it could be quite quite tough. I think that I think the I met someone who told me that in the the in the Gulf War. All the soldiers got this like advice that it was going to be like really warm uh, in the desert, <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't. And they all like 
just froze and they had these like um, chemical MBC suits, nuclear biological chemical, uh, like charcoal impregnated sort of a clothing for if there was like a chemical attack. Like anyone who grew up in the in the 80s and the 90s in the UK, like if you were a, if you were like a crusty student, people would walk around wearing these like NBC, uh, army surplus NBC smocks. Anybody remember that? Like these green, green things which were impregnated with charcoal. So if you, if you're a student, you would have been, you might have survived. Uh, but people started wearing those all the time because it was so cold. And I think the SAS, the people out in the desert, they end of eventually got hold of loads of like really thick sort of sheepskin sheepskin like jackets you, you see them here they go down to like your knees like a huge big thing like a massive like belay jacket and if you see if you look at like photographs in in some of these old books about the gulf war you'll see them wearing these like big massive jackets i don't i don't know they're probably bulletproof as well if you have know, big sheep sheep are quite tough so yeah uh, it's funny uh, it's funny when you mention the the war here like no one seems to, um, no one seems to. I guess there's been quite a few wars. I think the if you talk about the Gulf War, people generally in the Gulf, uh, I think often people think about the the Iran and Iraq War, not Gulf War One and Gulf War Two. So, yeah, I guess there's a lot. Yeah, wars, wars are all the time. Yeah, wars. Are, I guess even like Second World War. Like I went, I actually went went to see. Um, uh, 1917, um, and uh, the, the cinema, and there, people were like just talking all the way through it. Like all these people are like yabbering, yabbering, talking to each other the whole way through it. It's intensely annoying. And then before it even finished, everyone started leaving the cinema. Like the guy just told—I don't want to spoil it for you—but the guy just told this guy's brother what happened, and you know it's like super emotional. And everyone just like just just putting the popcorn down and just all walking out and stuff, which is uh, you know it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Like when it went to Jumanji two, which was not not good. Uh, I don't know why I went to Jumanji two, uh, and uh, maybe like here in like in this in this country, any uh, loads of things are cut out of the films. Uh, like you know, everyone. Is everyone's kissing someone or whatever, like in the Joker, like the kiss is like cut out and all this kind of stuff. So you, you often wonder, like, are they just cutting out all the bits which are funny or something? Like, is there loads of like jokes about God or something? Or, you know, like, why why is it just so bad? It's like, you know, really, yeah, it's kind of a really incredible how bad stuff can be at the moment. Like, you know, TV, you know, this kind of stuff. Like Netflix, is anybody, I can't remember the last... But from the last, was it the, uh, anyway, the the king at Beasts of, Net, Beasts of No Nations, it was, you know, like that was a, anything with Netflix on it at the moment just seems to be like terrible. So anyway, so I, I've got really bad internet here. So I keep trying to do interviews with people, but I just can't get them to work. So I'm, I'm going to keep trying. I might have to just do it. Uh, like if you try and do it anywhere where there's good internet, there's always too much noise. So I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I may have to wait, wait till I get get back down. I'm trying to do an interview with a friend of mine who's like, I've mentioned it before, he's like rowing across the Atlantic and he's building his own boat, which is like super cool. And I want to talk to him about, you know, like taking on a big project and basically how you're going to stay comfortable and psychological stuff about rowing across the Atlantic, North Atlantic, not the South Atlantic, oh, anyone can do that. 
you know, even a German kayak to cross, like how hard could it be? But this is like proper, proper, proper North Atlantic kind of stuff. Um, and I'm trying, I also want to interview Ian Parnell, who has just finished redoing um, uh, Classic Rock. Or was it Hard Rock? Anyway, it's a book with the word rock in it. So, um, uh, which looks really, really cool. So if you check, check that out, Hard Rock, Classic Rock, some kind of rock, Ian Parnell, so hopefully I'll try and I'll try and interview him as well, and we'll get him to like read a bit. Like, but Ian used to be a bell ringer, so you know that's not a euphemism. Um, so yeah, he he's very well spoken. He's uh, you know, I used to think he was posh, but that was because I wasn't. I was just ignorant. So yeah, and for some reason I've got I have this little uh, notebook. It's a good tip for anybody out there. A good tip. Like I, <laughs> it's a good tip in that I always carry a notebook around with me, and the reason I do is I have a lot of like random uh, thoughts in my head and I try and write them down. Uh, and the, re- the only reason I do it is David Lynch does it. And I heard David Lynch say it and I thought, I'm going to do that. So I've actually started doing it. I'm carrying it around for quite a long time. I'll probably lose it before I ever write down any of these notes. Like I've, I've actually set up a different, another Instagram account. And I'm just going to write down the notes next to a picture like that's, that's how i used to do my that's how i used to do instagram before when i used to have there used to be lots of wacky photographs and nothing to do with nothing to do with climbing and it was just basically i used to write down stuff that that came into my head i thought stuff i saw and just 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 did it via instagram because i thought it was kind of more creative um and uh, but the problem is my handwriting is so terrible i literally can hardly read anything i've written like uh uh, facts done equal truth. That, I can read that. The necessity of illusion. Who who slaves should the poor be? Oh God! Like it's just like that. That's not too bad, but some of it is just terrible. But what was what was cool was last time I saw my son Ewan, uh, we're walking along and suddenly he like whipped out this uh, whipped out this uh, little notebook and I was like, huh? How come you got a notebook? And he's like. Oh, you told me that I should get a notebook, so I've got a notebook. So that was cool. I don't know if he's going to keep it, but yeah. Anyway, notebooks, really, really good idea, I reckon. Carry a little pen, notebook, uh, little ideas, little sketches. Um, there's a really good guy I've been following on on Instagram who's a Chinese uh, dr- uh, drawer, <laughs> Chinese artist. He just does like, these really cool little sketches in a, in a notebook, uh, which are um, yeah, super, super cool. Like, uh, just... You know, like it's really, really simple stuff. Uh, one of my favorite artists out there is the guy, I can't remember his name now. He, uh, he, he basically has gone into his granddad's shed and he's like drawing every single item in that shed, like one at a time. He's like a really good illustrator. If you type in granddad's shed, illustrate, you'll find it. See, I'm, I'm, I'm just full of like really great links for you to, you know, for you to, you know, to, to go and find. Uh, I've, I've seen a few. I've, a few people have been downloading this Vapor Barrier Sock uh, PDF, which is on Gumroad. So, because um, I mentioned that in the last podcast about Vapor Barrier Socks. Um, so yeah, so thank you for downloading that. I don't get any. I don't get paid for it, but uh, thank you for downloading it. Um, on the subject, I, I I should probably mention something here because sometimes I can. I think. Like uh, sometimes I can come across as a bit of a someone who's a bit obsessed with uh, uh, money uh, sometimes. So because uh, um, I got like 
I had a I had a comment from somebody. I'm just trying to like, see my internet so bad it won't even can't even open Instagram. I had a comment from somebody and he was he was giving me uh some advice and so I do apologize if you're giving me some advice. If I sounded like I was grumpy, uh that, that I should structure this podcast more carefully and uh various various things like that. And um so oh yeah, I've here it is. Uh, thanks for sharing very useful insights, but could you please work on the structure that goes for both podcasts and books? In the beginning of this week's episode, you said you'd ramble less in the Techie Tuesday podcast. However, after 10 minutes, you're still rambling on about playing chess. Why not start with an old-fashioned agenda? Today, today I talk about A, B, C and D. Allow your storytelling is entertaining to some extent. That's really not what's unique about your podcast. I'm all ears about climbing, blah, blah, blah. So, um, uh, so... <laughs> So uh, as be, I am, a very, I'm a very defensive person. Like I'm, you know, people who are, I hate it when people say I'm thin-skinned. You know, so uh, <laughs> so I wrote. So this is my reply to him, uh, and I'm just gonna just gonna quickly say it. So he'll be fast-forwarding through this, but anyway. So um, if I was being paid to do a podcast, I'd probably sit down and write out the entire thing, and have it well structured as well as make it as perfect as can be. Uh, and I've zero rambling, but as it is, I don't have time or can't afford to take the time. So I just press play and record what's in my head. So it's up to you to invest the same amount of time and effort or not to see if there's anything of any value. For me, in the rambling, a writer telling you that his dad stopped reading what he wrote as he thought his son had gone mad is great of, is of greater value than Viv Barrier Socks. But everyone is different. Um, and then, then I sort of went on, I went on another bit about... Um, the, the, the when you're writing when you're writing a book so he was he was it was it was a bit critical it was you know a good a good critical comment about my book higher education that it sometimes has a few like repeated things like about your ideal rack or whatever uh but when you're writing a book like i'm really con- i'm really aware of this at the moment is you're trying to like i think higher education is two hundred thousand words you know and you when you've when you've written all when you've written it all and uh, you know you've written it, you've illustrated, and all that kind of stuff. You've been like in in this intense relationship with this book for such a long time, like a year, two years, or something, trying to get it finished. That after a while, it's just so it's just such a massive project that book that you it's it's amazing. There's not more mistakes in that kind of book because you've not. It's not like. It's not like, um, you know, like if you're trying, if you're trying to, if you're, if you're doing like systems analysis, you know, say you're building like a control panel in like a, in a jumbo jet or something or, a, or a, some kind of aircraft, you need to do all this like system analysis to make sure that if this button's off and this button's on, what happens? And if these buttons are off and that one's on, what happens? And you sort of go through all this process of trying to weed out all these problems. But in a book, it's like so difficult. Like it would take me, you know, it took like two years to write the book. You know, to read the book properly would take me like a few days. Like even like Vanessa, my wife, like proofread it. And that took her like, you know, like a week or two weeks or something. Like it's just too big. It's just so big that there's always going to be like little mistakes in there. If you look at, um, you know, look at um, a film like Suicide Squad or something, like everyone's going on about, how badly, how uh, 
you know, the thingy girls, cheeky girls, what it's called, how it's uh, flopping. But, you know, you watch Suicide Squad and it's just bloody horrendous film. And it's like, who, you know, whoever did the script was, same with the, like, by sounds of it, like the last Star Wars film, the same kind of problem, is these things become so complicated and so complex that it's just, uh, it's just in, it's just going to happen, you know. Like this is, this uh, the books I'm writing are not easy books to write. And they're not easy books to, they're just not easy books. And that's why people don't write books like this, because A, it takes too long. There's no, there's no money in it unless you do it the way I'm trying to do it, you know, where you, you have to do everything. You have to edit it, design it, you know, publish it, do it, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's always, there's always going to be, you know, like in imperfections and mistakes. But, but for me, I always think that it's the... I just think that that really that the 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 imperfections, are the the kind of the price you pay, you know, like what the highest highs, you know, if you go like I was thinking about American food, if you go out for like some food in America, it's always um, to a standard that's just above acceptable. <laughs> if you know what I mean, anyone's been to America, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like it's never like you know. Sometimes you'll find somewhere like it's really really amazing. And other times you'll find, but mostly, but you'll very rarely find something which is really, really terrible, like you would if you're in the UK or somewhere else. Uh, but, you know, it's always to a standard. And that's, and that's the problem, is that if you, the more you're risking look, going out, looking for something, which is, I'm not saying what I do is, like, amazing, but I think when it's good, it's, like, really good. And sometimes it's crap, you know. Sometimes... I read stuff and I just see it's like badly spelled or it doesn't make any sense to me, even though I wrote it. So, um, so that's the you know that's the that's the problem really. Is um, it's just the nature of it really. Um, so yeah, but I wrote this I wrote this little kind of reply to him on Instagram. Uh, like I'm trying to be more positive, so I'll, I'll read this out. So what one reason I keep reading things I, do, I should point out is that I'm try I want to do um, the audio versions of Psycho Vertical and Cold Wars and my, my other books. Because about a third of all book sales these days are um, audio books. So it's been, it's been something I've been trying to do for ages, but I'm just like, I've, I think I've told you in other podcasts, I'm really not very confident at reading things. Um, and uh, so, yes, yeah, so this is like something I have to kind of get, get over. So I'm just kind of using you. I'm just exploiting you all to just sit there, listen to me, like going, the the the. So um, anyway, I'll just quickly read this little thing. This is this is maybe this is of interest. So this is my reply to my man. So when David Lynch made Lost Highway, one critic said it deserved two thumbs down. To which Lynch replied that this was good enough reason to go and see the film. The idea of perfection can be a logjam, that it stops you growing, or just doing what you can learning from it, then moving on and not dwelling on if it was perfect is one way never to become boring or bored, which is really what perfection is, boring. Like a beautiful woman is boring, a photorealistic painting, an Italian sports car. Yes, you can say that Beyonce creates perfect music, 50 writers, 10 producers, no money spared, but compare it to the crackly, poor-quality recording of Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit. What is perfection? And yes, David Lynch 
never got to direct Return of the Jedi or the latest Transformers film, didn't become Spielberg, but as he'd never been one to waste time on art that left you in no doubt what it was, but rather the imperfection, the imperfect grasp of the of interpretation. But in a hundred years' time, they won't be listening to clinical perfection, the clinical perfection of Beyonce, or discussing the films of Michael Bay, art that gave people exactly what they wanted, like McDonald's, repeatably perfect for what it is. No, they'll be talking about Billie Holiday and Lynch, things that mean something we don't fully understand. So, yeah, so that's my kind of, like, passive-aggressive <laughs> reply. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, but... Yeah, so, but I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very conscious... I'm very conscious at the moment that about social media because I I try I, I try to uh, I try to put a lot of I put like a lot of time into social media because mainly that's the main main way I get access to people out there like you lot and climbers and things and I do see myself as being in service to climbing which sounds a bit corny but all my life that is kind of how I've got always kind of seen it you know you're like you're you are we're all in the same kind of tribe uh, <laughs> but I sent I sent like Hazel Finley I was having a little because I, I said I was this thing about like feeding the beast like basically when I first started doing being creative in the outdoors you were being paid like one p a word you're being paid by your, for your photographs for magazines or companies like you even got to the point where you're being, being paid like one dollar a word so you know like it was like there was this there was like this creative um, two way thing between you, the editor, the magazine, the, the person who bought the magazine, and it was really it worked. You know, it worked very very well. But those days have have pretty much gone for most people. Like most people tend to be creating content for free on the hope that one day they're going to. Um, you know, they're going to be like a bum model. You know, they're going to have an Instagram account with like loads of people, you know, who follow it just because their girlfriend's got like a, a nice arse and, you know, she's she's pointing at something in the distance, like going with her tightest leggings on, going like, and it's got a really beautiful quote, but like no one's interested in the view. They're just like looking at this woman's arse, which is, is kind of how base this these things are really, you know, And but people try and pretend, oh, yeah, Oh, this woman, she writes such beautiful things. And you look there, and she's like a yoga instructor who wears like a pair of pants, which are like tiny, you know. Yeah, that is, you know, that's not that's not being sexist. That's just being, that's just telling the truth of it. So, um, yeah. So I sent this, to, so I sent this message to Hazel Finlay. This is not going to be me just like reading off loads of messages here for off my thing. And my wife's like banging on the door now. She wants to be let out. Um, it's like, do you ever feel social media is a form of slavery? Everyone is creating content for free in the hope that someday they might make back the money and time they invest in it. It's like a hobby that becomes a job, only only one where you pay yourself. And 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 uh, Hazel replied, um, "Ha ha ha! Not really. I get paid." So um, and anyway, Hazel's got a podcast, by the way. I should I've not listened to it yet, um, but I but I shall do. But I'm sure it's very good. She's a very thoughtful person. You won't see any pictures of Hazel like pointing into the distance on Instagram. That's for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not a money grabber. I'm just. But these things are important. It's very important. Like anybody here, anybody here. I remember once I went this met this woman who was like some sort of high powered uh, woman who lived in Chamonix, and she, and I remember the door to a house probably cost more 
than the house I lived in at the time. And, you know, I lived in this giant mansion up on the hill in Chamonix. And I was kind of going through all my kind of highfalutin ideas and about stuff. And I had this idea about doing a magazine, like climbing magazine or something. And it was like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, money's not important, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, money is like the only thing that's important. You know, like if it, if it doesn't make money, it won't exist or something. And they really, that kind of always stuck in my mind. And another thing someone's told me was uh, that money is fuel. I don't think of it as money. Just think of it as fuel. And without fuel, you can't do anything. So uh, any like, young people out there who want to make a living, you know, doing stuff, uh, you know, the financial side is something you should really take seriously because if you don't, you'll just, you know, you'll just, you'll just run out of steam, basically. So it's very important. And I do see a lot of people, you know, there's this thing that the baby boomers, if you listen to like uh, the, the Portal and Eric Weinstein and people like that, you know, this idea that the baby boomers just literally kind of like screwed, screwed everybody over, you know, the, the Generation X and the Millennials, screwed, screwed you all over basically. They've got all the money and all the houses and all the savings and all the pensions and everything else. Um, it's not, 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 not necessarily true, but you do see a lot, I do see a lot of people who are probably in their mid-20s who are like got super talented but are just working the climbing wall or something. They just can't seem to get started, you know. Um, so it's kind of sad to see, but, you know, that's life. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> so this this week I did a, an obstacle course, an eight-kilometre obstacle course out in the desert. Uh, the desert's kind of grim. Like, the desert, you have this idea of the desert. Like, the desert's just a shithole, basically. It's just, like, full of, like, dead stuff and... You know, it's not it's not Lawrence of Arabia. You know, you go out there, there's lots of plastic bags, and it's really not nice. And uh, so I did this did this obstacle course. One of these, it's named after you know, it's like the the Spartan or the, the you know the Trojan or some kind of condom kind of named after a condom or something. Uh, race out in the desert, and you have to go over like obstacles and all that kind of stuff. So it was it was it was, uh, it was quite good fun, really. Uh, I'm not like a, I'm not like a, a, not like an amazing runner. Like I can run like 10k or something, and uh, it was quite hot, uh, being the desert, and it was quite, it was a bit of a sandstorm and stuff, and you had to climb over things and go through water and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the, the what is funny though, because you're living in like an Arab country, uh, it's funny like men, like men go around holding each other's hands, and men are very like kind of intimate with each other, like kissing each other and very kind of touchy-feely. But, you know, like women, definitely not. You know, no one's even looking at... You're not even supposed to look at the women, not alone, let alone do anything else. So if you were... If you... You know, it's really... You know, this is not a place to live if you're gay, definitely. Uh, you probably... You probably would... You know, something... It's just not good... It's not good to be gay here. Uh, but if you were gay, it's a perfect place to live because you can, like, walk around with your arms around someone or holding a man's hand, as long as you don't start kissing, you're, uh, you're, you're well away. So there is a lot, someone told me that here there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's like a lot of people from, from like Indian subcontinent. There's like, you know, 10,000 men to every woman. So, you know, maybe that's why people walk around holding hands. I don't know. But anyway, so the, but this, someone told me a funny story that the women here, like if you're a, a woman, like when you're driving, uh, there's a lot of like police uh, security, you know, being stopped by the security. And what the women do, they put their uh, ID pass like in between their legs, 
So they open the window and the, the passage is there. And like, you know, they've got like a bear crow and all this kind of stuff. They have it between their legs. So the policeman, he can't reach in and get it. Otherwise, you know, it's just not going to happen. So, so yes, yeah, so it's kind of a cool little, uh, if you're writing a book about someone dressing up and trying to get out of an Arab country as a woman, that's a good, good little technique for you there to use. So. But anyway, but on, this, on this race, there is a point to the story. On this race, they had one of these uh, really high, you know, like, like full metal, not full metal jacket. Yeah, full metal jacket where you have to climb up, you know, like, what's your malfunction? You know, hey, I'm nuts, all that kind of stuff. You have to climb up it. And this is a poor woman who was kind of stuck at the top. She's kind of, you know, you, you know when you go over under one of those things, net climbing things, you're you know, supposed to kind of you know, grab all the top and like swing both legs over. But she kind of ended up sitting on the top and just thinks she thought she was going to topple over. And, we, and there was a guy below like trying to talk her down. And then I kind of, I went up there and, uh, and it's really difficult. You don't know if you, if you should touch somebody or where you should touch them or... It's uh, it's really odd. You know, it's a really odd kind of thing where you know, probably I think I just like, grabbed hold of a t-shirt and I just like, like started pushing her off, like, oh, oh, oh. you know, oh, I thought that was thought you were scared before, didn't you? You're really scared now. I remember that when I when I climbed with, I went and did this route when I climbed made this like TV program uh, with this the Alex Jones woman. I've mentioned it before in this podcast, but I remember we took her to some tower somewhere and they had these ropes hanging down the t the climbing wall, the the castle climbing wall. There are these static ropes hanging down in this tower, and I was trying to teach her how to jumar. So we were like jumaring up this rope, and she was like, she was like being totally BBC, like someone was filming. It's like, so tell me, Andy, how are these ropes made? And then jumar a bit further. So tell me, Andy, like, uh, you know, what's the what's the breaking strain of this jumar and all that? Kind of... And then I was like, do you feel do you feel safe? Do you feel safe, Alex? She was like, oh yeah, I feel I feel amazingly safe. I said, would you feel safe if it got windy? And I started like pushing her around, like, whoa! And she was like, fucking get off me, get off me! So, so yeah, so yeah. Look, if someone's really afraid, if you make them even more afraid, then they're they're less afraid when they, when you stop doing what you were doing to them. Um, but anyway, so the. So yeah, but I didn't win. I didn't win. I came half. I came halfway through the field. I think. I think it was like 190 out of like 200 or something. <coughs> I think Vanessa was like 20, so she was quite good out of the women. Um, all the other women had burgers on, so they were tripping up all the time. Uh, so yeah, so the, so this, but this sort of coincides with uh, a, the subject matter of this uh, podcast which is uh, the subject of failure. Um, someone asked me about, could I talk about failure? Now, failure is, you know, failure is my middle name, if you want to know about failure. So <laughs> someone told me recently they went to, a, they, they were a teacher and they had a sports day and there was like three, there was four houses and basically the three top houses, they all got a medal. And then the last house, they, uh, they didn't get a medal. And then uh, the, one of the parents was so outraged that they went out and bought medals for the, for the house that had lost, uh, which kind of, uh, you, know, you know, I think, it's, I think the thing about failure is it's really good. It's really good to know you failed. It's really good to, uh, you know, it's really, it's really good to really be beaten, really, really totally be beaten and to have no doubt that, that you know, that you failed and to... Uh, to go through the you know the stages of failure where you know you blame someone else and you blame the weather then you blame then you get sad and then you get 
you know, happy. You know, but actually the failure, the, 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 probably the phases of failure, if you're like, if you're climbing, say you're trying to do some really hard route, is say you're like halfway up a big wall and you bail, is when you get to the ground, the first feeling is of like isolation because you survived. And, you know, when you're trying to get down or something, and you're trying to, you know, you, once you've given up on something, the next, the next goal is to get down. And then when you achieve that goal, it's like really quite good. And I often think it's, it's a shame that people like rush through the, rush through the, the, the elation of, su- of succeeding in failing. Um, and they just get straight onto the like being pissed off and upset and blaming everybody and, you know, saying they're never going to do it again and throwing all the gear in the, in the river and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you should really try and make the most of that feeling. But the more, and I think the more you fail, the more you, um, the more you enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? The more you in kind of enjoy that feeling. Uh, like, have anybody seen the, the TED, the, like a TEDx lecture of me talking? And I talk way too fast. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I basically did like a, like a 40 minute lecture in about 15 minutes or something, 20 minutes. But I'm talking about going to solo the, um, the troll, wa- troll wall. And how after about, you know, like 10, was it 10 days, 10 days on the troll wall, like no one had ever soloed like a, a technical, you know, hard a technical route on the troll wall. I think people had soloed the Rimmon route, someone had soloed the Rimmon route. But, you know, you're up, you're up, you know, up on this wall for like 10 days, sort of kind of scary climbing, like loose, loose and all that kind of stuff. I had a few epics and, but yeah, I'm on the, la- the very last, less, very last 35 meters of the, of the pitch of the last pitch and I just can't find a, can't find a belay. And in the, in the process of trying to work out what to do, um, a camera got switched on and I could, I just heard my son saying like, dad, dad, get away. Like, and he was just, just some footage of him, like emptying bottles of lemonade. Uh, this probably doesn't make any sense. I'd have to watch the video, but, uh, I decided I had to retreat from the wall and I ended up, ended up taking me like maybe two days to repel all the way back down this like 600, you know, 650 meter, you know, big, anyway, big wall. I think it was 600 meters. Anyway, it was a long way. It took me two days to get down. Very overhanging. Anyway, I got, anyway, but I got down and I, and I was like, and I was on such a high because I, I was like, so I just, I just on a high for ages and ages, like probably weeks, if not months. It was just such a, it was just, it was the right thing to do. That's the, that's the main thing is when you fail. It is don't, don't start questioning why you did something when you're, you know, sat, you know, sat in the bath, you know, you just got to remember what it felt like at that, at that moment that like you, you were the best person to make that choice. Potentially 50% of you was the right person. Um, sometimes you always have to be careful of like a, a failure looking for an excuse, which is sort of very, very common, uh, where people have these great ideas, these great ambitions, and they set off up something and very quickly, they realize it's not what they thought it was going to be like climbing a big wall isn't all romantic and you know cool and high-fiving each other it's just a sweaty sweaty horrible you know experience it's like having a full-time job or something in the factory you know it's not that nice so people don't like it and they just and they shit it as well and they make loads of mistakes and drop stuff and they just they start making all these reasons why they have to go back down and uh you know and then they end up bailing and then they get down and they start telling you all these stuff like oh the whole bag was too heavy because we had too much water, and also we didn't think we had enough water. Uh, you know, all this, all these kind of, 
all these kind of things. So, um, yeah, so that's always a good thing to be wary of of failure. Like, is your heart is your heart really in it to, at the beginning? And sometimes you sometimes you need to kind of do something a few times. You know, you it's what's it like? It's like you know, if you get into really really hot like sauna, you know, a lot of sauna, like a really hot like pool of water. Uh, you know, you, you you start going in there and like, oh, Christ, this is way too hot. And you just come back out again. And then you th- think about it. And you, then you go in again, you go a bit further and you're like, oh, God, oh, God. And then, and then you know, you keep trying. Eventually you get in there and after a while you're like, oh, it's actually a bit too cool, a bit too cold now. So, you know, the, so the classic would be th- a thing would be like wanting to climb the nose. You know, like all climbers want to climb the nose, you, you know. And is it you... You know, you find this climbing partner, you both want to climb the nose, you go to your cemetery, you know, you do you do a little bit of training, the climbing wall, you go to, you go to your cemetery, you try it, you do two pitches, you can't do it, you bail, you make all these excuses, you bail, you go back down, your partner's like, oh, it's shit, you know, and you're like, oh, it's shit. Uh, you, you know, you, you come home and then your partner's like, I'm never doing that again, but you're like, actually, it was shit, but... Like I actually quite enjoyed it, and maybe maybe I can see the mis- what 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 I didn't understand or what I didn't learn, I didn't know properly. So you so you start training, you start training some more. You know, you you, you read more books, you talk to more people, uh, you find you know you find another climbing partner. Um, you go back and you try and climb the nose again, and you get like five pitches up, but then there's people are really slow in front of you, and it gets really really hot. And you start doubting if if that original failure was actually due to the fact that you just don't want to do it, and you sort of let you let that get into your head, and you're like, "Oh, this is this is shit. Let's go back down." So you go back down, but luckily you give yourself like three weeks, so you do a bit of climbing, and the more you sort of hang around in the valley, your psyche starts going back up again, and then you realise that you know if you don't do it now, you're never coming back here ever again, and you know you're going to look a bit stupid, so. You go and do another. You go do another route that's easier. You know, you do like leaning tower or something, and everything seems to start, works a lot better. You make you work out all your mistakes, and then you go back on the nose. And this time, you set off at like three in the morning, and you have a lot less stuff. And you already know the first five pitches. You whiz up them, and you keep on going. You make loads of fucking mistakes. You nearly die. You pull rocks on yourself. You know, you shit your pants. All that kind of stuff. But after five days with your three days of water, you get to the top. And um, so, yeah, so sometimes failure is not like, you know, unless you, unless you get killed, uh, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily, not necessarily the end of something, you know. Like sometimes, literally it can be like the beginning of something. I've met, I've met loads of people who their first experience of climbing or ice climbing or whatever, mountaineering, was like really, really, really negative, really negative experience. But for some reason, they just like like my first alpine route was doing like the friend or spare, like like a winter ascent of the friend or spare, and I've bloody hated every minute of it. Like really, really hated every minute of it. But at the same time, and also I, I tried it once with somebody and uh, we failed, and then I tried it again with somebody else, and I dropped my boot, and then I tried it again, and we got to the top. <laughs> but you know, like. I really hated it every time I went up there. I really don't like it. I don't like alpine climbing. It's just cold and miserable and scary and dangerous. And you spend lots of time just sitting around, not doing anything because the weather's bad. It's just like the worst thing you could ever do in your life. But for some reason, it's also like probably one of the coolest things you'll ever do. So it just like, 
draws you back. So yeah, it's um, so what's that film? Uh, is it a film? No, what's the 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 book? Um, thingy in a time of cholera. Uh, oh God, what's it called? Anyway, there's that book where the guy is on a he's on a boat and he's never is a virgin, and he um, I think some woman like he's on this boat on the river in the Amazon or somewhere, and the woman like pulls him to this room, this strange woman, and has sex with him, and then throws him out the door again. And then he doesn't know, doesn't know who it was or anything. It's like totally... And also, it's actually probably based on... There's a, is it Dostoevsky uh, book, story where a man is like in a dark room, a soldier, and this woman like kisses him, but doesn't know who it was. And it's really, really sad, really. He never finds out who it was, and he just wants to be kissed again by this person. So it's a bit like that alpine climbing, basically, is, you know... It's like having the best kiss or the best shag ever, and then just wanting to want it to happen again, and just hanging around. Hopefully, it's going to happen again. You know, it's like going to the same disco every night because you once had a really great shag with someone and you didn't know who it was. You know, that's probably I, I doubt Walter Bernatti or Chris Bonington ever put it like that, but it's a little bit like that. You're just kind of hanging on. Basically, you're stalking. Basically, you're stalking something you don't even know what it is. So, so yeah, so um, yeah, so. It's, so I guess you'd say um, you you kind of got to give yourself a you kind of got to give yourself room to fail if that makes any sense. Like you've got if you go there, do you know this? Do you know like the, when the British went to Afghanistan or Iraq, they said like failure is not an option. Like that is a fucking stupid sort of way to approach anything in your life. Um, you know, failure is kind of like is probably the default. The, the default outcome that's kind of what you want in life you don't want to be doing anything where you're not going to fail at it like what is the point of doing it like um you know like set your dream a little bigger do you know what i mean so so yeah so giving you giving yourself room to fail and kind of courting failure by trying something instead of going to yosemite say and saying we're going to do like you know west face of washington we're going to do washington column or something you know, and then we're going to go back in another year or two years, and then we're going to might try and do Leaning Tower. And we're like, I'm always just like, just fucking invest some time in training. You know, sort out your jumaring, your hauling, and all that kind of stuff here, and just get there, get straight on the nose, or get straight on El Cap, or just you know, just just you know, just there's a point, there's a there's a point where life is too short to uh you know you gotta really you gotta really train for it you gotta just like rock up and do it some people do but most people don't but you know if whatever it is you don't want to um you don't want to you don't want to you don't want to tempt failure you don't want to like magnify the chances of failure by something that is not there's so many reasons why you're going to fail to do something don't increase them you know like I, i i probably when i went to denali last year I probably wasn't fit enough. I probably put too much thought into some things and not enough thought into my fitness just because I was kind of, it just didn't, it was It was hard to get, that. well, just not in a place where it was very easy to get fit enough for the, what I was going to do. Um, so that's a problem for, for a lot of people. It's just finding the time to, to do all these things. Um, so, yeah, so fit, yeah, so... <laughs> So yes, so I had I had, I have this little story. I was gonna write this that when I was when I was on the when I was uh, on the doll when I was probably like I was eighteen or nineteen. Uh, I had this like great idea that I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna sell T-shirts to students. 
So to me, like students, like I've never been a student, but students always seem to have loads and loads of like free money and just seem to like do bugger all and just like wander around. Um, and uh, so I had this idea I was going to like do some T-shirts, screen print some T-shirts. So I got my granddad to to make me, my granddad was a carpenter, I got him to make me the screen printing, you know, like a piece of, like a frame, like a picture frame uh, with a piece of wood underneath it with a hinge. And then I bought this uh, material. This was like before the internet. So I, I, must have, I must have gone to the library and just read how to do it. And I, so I bought this this fabric that you pull tight and staple it on. And then I bought some uh, some some ink for doing uh, screen printing. Then I bought loads of T-shirts for like, I think they were a pound each. And then uh, I did a design, I cut it out of that, this kind of plasticky, plastic-backed paper. Then I screen, screen printed these T-shirts. And I was, I, when, you're on the, when you're on the door, I, pro, you, I, think, yeah, I think you used to get like £26 a week, maybe. It was like 50, £54. But I don't think it's £54 a fortnight, maybe. God, a fortune. Um... Uh, and uh, so yeah, so so I, so I probably spent like a, a, quite a lot of my my dispo- my non disposable income on this on this grand plan. And in my head, I've got this idea I was going to sell all these things and you know all these t shirts, thinking all the money I was going to make and all all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so I went down to the student union and they had like a day where anyone could do anyone could sell whatever they wanted. And. Uh, stood there all day long, had my T-shirts all laid out, kind of cool sort of design, and I didn't sell a single one. And by the end of the day, just packed them all up and just walked back. And I was the most sorriest fucking person in the world. Like, I just felt like such such an idiot. Like, I probably didn't even know the word humiliated at the time, but I just felt I'd humiliated myself, you know, and does that there's that part of you that's like the overreaching the overreacher in your nature well in my nature anyway is someone who is like you know got all of all the ambition but without any of the with any of the talent or with any of the sort of foresight or things to make it make it really really pull it off really the you know and uh yeah I think I'd end up giving all my, all those t-shirts away and uh, you know, I probably just told myself I would never do, I would never, ever, ever, ever do that again. But of course, I did. I did the same, same kind of things, loads of times. I remember, I once did this little booklet. Uh, I think it's called Solid Air. Some people might actually have it somewhere. It's a little kind of booklet, and uh, the idea was just to get loads of bits of writing and stick it in this booklet and make it something nice. And John Barton uh, printed it. I had to pay him, you know. You know, he was a, he was a you know graphic designer, printed person. Now he's like publishers, one of my publishers. So it's kind of weird to have this relationship with somebody. Anyway, and I got like I don't know how many print. I got printed like four thousand of these fucking booklet things, and they're only you know if you saw them in a if you saw them like in an art shop, they'd be free, you know, like a little kind of thing. But it was like nice paper and it was nice pictures and it, you know it's a real little collector's kind of thing. And I was talking at the Royal Geographical Society. And I had this idea that I was going to just, you know, sell like loads of them. And I was working out, you know, maybe each one cost me a pound. And I would sell them for like four pounds. And, you know, all the, I had all these great ideas. I didn't sell a single one. You know, I just didn't ever say, I just never really sold any of them because 
it was just it was just too expensive for what it was and it was but again it was like a it was like another lesson it was a lesson it was a lesson in failure and you know like like i think that's that's maybe one thing you really have to think about is what do you gain when you when you fail at something like what what do you like what do you gain when you're successful like if i was successful and i'd sold all those books maybe i would have made you know like a few thousand pounds but the value to me as a person to have not sold any is potentially incalculable it's like and uh like isn't <laughs> that's a more positive way of thinking of it but you know like it's the i guess it's the old batman thing isn't it? like why do we stumble you know you know all that kind of stuff but uh, it's kind of is 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 really true really um because success like with the troll wall story i eventually eventually came back the following winter and climbed the troll wall uh with two other people and i ended up climbing that last 35 meters and what was it worth it wasn't worth anything it was like 14 days of your life fucking suffering on a big wall in winter to climb 35 meters to, to a point which was doesn't mean anything whatsoever didn't even go to the top of the, the mountain so so yeah so i think you really i think you'd like if you if 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 you're not ambitious you know then it, then failure isn't really a, isn't really going to be a problem <laughs> But if you are ambitious, and most people are ambitious, um, like don't let your failures stop you. It's just, a, again, it's like this thing, like Ella, my daughter, just, she's like doing like a maths degree and she got like a bad, she got like a bad result. She's really sad because she's like worked really, really hard. And for some reason, she's got this like result in her test. It was, it was, it wasn't what she thought she was going to get. And you could tell she's like super super sad about it she's trying to put on a brave face because she's that kind of that kind of person and she was like oh maybe i'll just gonna start a company with with my brother and and all that kind of stuff and i was like ella like being good at maths and you are really good at maths it's just the manifestation of of who you are like you aren't it's not that you're just because you're good at math doesn't mean that's what you are you know like i'm a mathematician it's just it's just how it's manifested itself in you like you are someone who is like more above average intelligence who can order complex things in your mind and see patterns in things and understand things other people can't understand now that is like a universal skill that you can apply to anything at all in your life so that's why people who you know used to be rocket you know um you know rocket engineers ended up making millions on wall street if not billions because it's, um, you know, so yeah, so I think it, tr trying to square away your failure is is um, is very important, you know, become become sort of friends friends with it, you know, ha 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 ha, I've laughed, I've failed again, you know, what next? So what's that thing? For, uh, this is the point where I could add in loads of, you know, cliched kind of things about fail fail better blah 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 all that kind of stuff all that kind of self-help stuff but um you know hopefully you know so anyway so i thought i was in my continuing um reading uh training i thought i'd read this little thing off my website i've not read through it yet so it might be terrible but it's from 2010 and it was i went out to try and I, i'd always wanted to solo el cap in a day and I'd actually always wanted to climb El Cap in a day, and I'd always failed to climb El Cap in a day. I think I tried it 
I think I tried it. I tried it once. Um, I tried to climb Zodiac in a day, and I ended up like leading all the pitches for some reason. Uh, so I basically got too tired, and we got right up past the uh, the mark of Zorro, like up maybe we were like four pitches from the top, and I was just so tired that I was falling asleep when I was climbing. So we ended up having to stop and bivy on a tiny little ledge. Um, so I, so I blew it that time. I think I, I think I think then maybe I tr tried to climb it uh, with somebody else. The same thing. I kind of led all the pitches, which is a mistake. And uh, we didn't. We climbed it in thirty hours or something. Tried to do the nodes in thirty hours. So I kept I kept failing. And then I had this idea. I was going to go to Antarctica with somebody who was uh, paraplegic. And this idea was: could you could you ski to the South Pole if you were paraplegic? You know, was it, is it, is it even possible? And it seemed like totally impossible. But I'd also skied across Greenland with her. So I kind of thought maybe it was possible. But the idea was just so crazy, like a thousand kilometers, just like on a sit ski, skiing along. But then I thought like, well, maybe what about if you try to ski all across Antarctica, you know, across Antarctica? Now that's really crazy, you know. And so when I thought about something that was twice as hard, the original thing didn't seem quite as bad as it as it as it did, so I, I kind of applied this to trying to climb El Cap in a day. I decided if I couldn't climb El Cap in a day, I'd try and solo it in day in a day instead. So I actually went out and I actually did some proper training. I got I got I got I actually got really fit that time. I was like running up a big hill every day and I, I was eating properly and taking taking care of myself. And I went out there. And I think I tried to do, tried to climb Lurking Fear to begin with. Uh, like got up in, you know, like got up at like, you know, like one in the morning, started climbing. And then I got like a cam totally jammed, like one of those, uh, um, uh, well, they're not a fixed cam because they're always fixed, uh, a link cam, got it stuck. So I was basically blew it, I had to come back down. And then I went to try and do a Zodiac in a day and I uh, I think I, again like I got up at the when I got to the bottom there's these two guys like sleeping at the bottom and I set off and I got uh, I got like two pitches up and then I dropped my ADA so I'd blown it again so I just abseil down and like bivied at the bottom uh, and in the morning I woke up and these other guys were there and the guys were kind of humming and harring and they were like oh we don't think we've got time actually to do Zodiac we really want to do it uh, Jordan and um uh, I can't remember his name. Um, anyway, um, um, they didn't have time. Didn't have time to do it. So I was like, "Well, why don't we like team up and we'll do it together? We'll try and do it in a day together." You know, not telling them I'm not climbing in a day before. And they obviously obviously assumed that because I just tried to do it solo in a day, I must be like this super wad climber. So we went. I think we went down, got some food, you know, whatever. And then we came up, and then we bivied at the bottom, and then we set off the next day. And we did it in a day. We did it in like 14 hours, 15 hours or something, got to the top. So so that kind of kind of showed you that that did actually work. You know, it went from being impossible to much easier than the alternative. But I actually I actually went back a few days later and I tried again to try and solo it in a day. So this was this was just something I wrote at the time. I've never I don't think I've ever reread it. Um I should have put it, I wrote this book. Uh, this book, Unknown Pleasures, which is like an amalgamation of an amalgamation. It's like 
you know, greatest hits of writing, and there's some more sorts of stuff in there, but this isn't in there for some reason, so I, I don't, so I've not read it. So anyway, so this was, um, yeah, from 2010, and this was written while I was in Yosemite. So here we go, put on my best uh, reading voice. Um, let's get this right. Right. Uh, I'm sat in my usual spot in the Yosemite Lodge cafeteria, typing out words with sausage fingers, my hips and feet aching with a dull throbbing pain, my, hell, my head full of fog. I feel as if I've been run over or been cage fighting. It's Friday at 7.30pm. Oh no, on Friday at 7.30pm, I started up Zodiac for my fifth time and the second time that week. With just three litres of water, a single rope, two sets of batteries for my head torch and a minimalist rack, I don't think I'd ever felt so committed in my life. The first two pitches were climbed, repelled and cleaned in 90 minutes. And as the valley drew dark, I pressed on, climbing as fast as I could, set up a belay, abseil back to my last belay, take the belay apart, grab my pack, jug up the rope, cleaning gear and repeat. When I got up that morning, I'd felt tired, still recovering from climbing El Cap in 19 hours two days before, and compounded by a week of disturbed sleep before that. And so I was a bit, it was a bit of a surprise to me that I was trying to climb non-stop. This was borne out at around 2am when I began to feel very tired, felt the agonising desire to lay down and sleep. As it was pitch, as, as it was pitch six, I decided I should try and sleep for two hours to recharge my batteries. So I sat there and fell into a half sleep for 15 minutes, then woke as the moon came up. Sat there in the dark on a tiny ledge, I began to feel scared, like a free diver who was unsure if he had enough oxygen to make it to the surface. My mind was full of doubts, such as if, such as, such if, if such as if I was going to, if I was going too slow, if I had enough water, the fact after this pitch, I would find it almost impossible to get down with only one rope. I imagined that hand on the tiller and told myself to be calm and to get moving as action would dispel my fears. I arrived at the white circle at dawn and started up the crooks pitches, which aren't too hard, but I felt as if I was going slower. My mind seemed to be drifting wasting precious seconds on tangling slings or watching silverfish swarm on the wall. But again and again, I would snap to and remind myself that I couldn't dawdle. I had to climb before my water ran out. My first big prob problem came when I had to abseil back down to my lead rope on several of the traversing pitches, necessitating scary back cleaning on the way up and much jiggery pokery on the way down. Again and again I found myself spinning a long way out from the deck trying to get a piece of gear so I could pass it. Each time I did, it, each time I did this, I felt time slipping through my fingers. At 7.30pm, I was still four pitches from the top. I had been climbing non-stop for 24 hours and awake for 36. I felt no surge of disappointment when I saw the time as I'd known for the last seven hours I couldn't make it. Now I just wanted out and entered the terrible space of the failed speed climber 
who was forced to confront the wall with little in the way of food, water or energy as night comes on, only without the dream of success to power him. But now my harness was doing me grievous damage and my feet felt sore and my hands ached from jumaring, but with no, no one there, nowhere even to stand, I had to dig deep until I could reach Peanut Ledge, a surfboard-sized ledge for one, three, peaches, three pictures from the top. It grew dark and my pace slowed to survival mode. Focus, focus, focus. I pulled onto the ledge around 10pm and sat there for an interminable time, knowing I, I had to wrap down and get my pack, but seemingly not, able to be able, not being able to move. I realised I was taking micro-naps, a tiny burst of uncontrollable sleep. I knew I was in great danger if I didn't pay attention, but all I wanted to do was crawl up on that ledge and sleep, my mind trying to convince me to just have a sleep and recharge. Then I could wrap down and get my stuff, a trick that would only lead me to wake more hungry and thirsty and with lower energy. And yet still, I just sat there, my legs over the edge, trying to move, but unable to do so. I knew my mind had space free for tiredness in which I could operate, and I visualised a citadel within it, an impregnable fortress in which my core function was safe from sleep. Everything else, memory, desire and dreams were consumed by the darkness. This skeleton crew of still firing neurons got moving and down I went, got my stuff and jugged back, flaking out on the ledge as soon as I got there, my legs in my rope bag, a bothy bag, my own insulation. So tired, I slept still attached to my jumars on the rope. The sleep was cold and heavy, my mind signalling every time I came close to waking that I'm on a tiny ledge in El Cap and make sure you're still attached. The moon came up and, I, and, I, and so did the cramps. I knew that the top was only three pitches away and there lay lots of bottles of water but it might as well have been a million miles. I thought about my folly and that something was deeply wrong with me to be unsatisfied with climbing this route in a day with partners as if that was easy and so I was trying to the imp trying the impossible if I'd done this then what would be next I topped out at lunchtime and sat under a tree and had to drink and had to drink had a drink of a big bottle of water before I could find the energy to wrap and jug one final time it seemed I was cursed never to just sit in the shade, always something to do. My rucksack up, I sat under the tree again, knowing I should go down, falling in and out of sleep, feeling dejected and foolish to have tried such a thing. I tried to find some satisfaction that I'd soloed a wall in 30 hours that usually took a party four or five days, but it was no good, and you had simply deluded myself. The walk down was tougher than usual, as all I wanted to do was lay down and sleep. But on I went until I reached my car and just sat there feeling empty. My emotions primarily dictated by lack of sleep than anything. Then out of nowhere an old man appeared 
dressed like a scout leader. Did you just climb El Cap, young man? He said. I, re I think I recognize your rucksack. I watched you this morning in my binoculars. <laughs> yes, I did, I replied sheepishly. Well, well done, young man, he said, holding out his hand. That's a mighty impressive thing you've done, he said, smiling. I sat back in my car and thought it disingenuous to feel anything but pride for oneself for climbing El Cap, a rock with no bad roots and no bad climbs. So I'm sat here recovering in the cafeteria, my eyes heavy. I know when I stop hurting, I'll be stronger. And the lack of pain is just a sign that you're, <laughs> that you're getting weak. I have enough time and maybe enough energy to try once more, again, a sub 24 hour solo ascent of El Cap, probably lurking fear as I just can't bring myself to do Zodiac again. In the food queue a few minutes ago, I found myself behind two young black guys, one a minister and the other a soldier on leave. The soldier told the minister he was going to Afghanistan in a week's time and that he was worried about it. The minister just looked at him and said, I'm sure it will bring you closer to God. Amen. There you go. So another bit of reading. Um, Something to think about, failure, don't be afraid of it, <laughs> it's part of life. So, um, so yeah, so I'll see you again on, uh, on Tuesday. Goodbye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.